listening to the Queensland Theatre Quality Time Podcast. Let me set the scene. From organising schedules to making cardboard AK-47s, there's not a lot that stage managers can't do. But what draws someone to a life in the theatre behind the stage? And what are the qualities that make them the perfect people to manage a production? In celebration of International Stage Management Day on 10 October, Lee Lewis is joined by Boy Swallows Universe Senior Stage Manager John Reed, Prima Facie Stage Manager Kim Scott, and Othello Assistant Stage Manager Annalise Long. They share what it's like being that first point of contact on a show when something goes wrong, and that euphoric rush when it all goes right. Enjoy. Hello everyone, my name is Lee Lewis, I'm the Artistic Director here at Queensland Theatre and welcome to another Quality Time edition with Queensland Theatre. Today we have quite a, a wonderful collection at the moment of stage managers in the building and we are recording this session for International Stage Management Day, mm-hmm. which is a worldwide celebration of the art and craft and dark arts, let's be honest, of stage management. Joining me today, uh, I have Kim, who is the stage manager on Prima Facie, John, who is the stage manager on Boy Swallows Universe, and Annalise, who is on Othello. We have a huge number of works in rehearsal in the building, which is un- well, not unusual in the past, but unusual in these COVID times. So welcome, guys. Mm, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Now, I understand that the stage management world is often less than six degrees of separation. So what Mm. connects, what are the connecting dots between the three of you, industrially speaking? Because our stage managers move around the country and work on different shows. And around the world. And around the world. Oh, yes, of course. Well, the only reason John is actually here is because COVID shut down Cirque du Soleil, uh, which is where you were working, John. Exactly, yeah. Let's start with that. What happened with that? Oh, so let's do the six degrees (laughs) first. Six degrees first, okay. Because then that will lead directly See, this is what happens. I I go around in circles and and I'm... rely on a fabulous stage manager to keep me on track. So let's start with what I said I'd start with. You go for that, Annalise. All right. So two years ago at Queensland Theatre, I worked on a production of City of Gold by Maine Wyatt, and I handed that over to Kim, who then was the stage manager as it went to Sydney. Prior to that, I was also working on Cirque du Soleil, which I was before COVID-19 as well. And John was working on Taruk, Mm -hmm. and he handed it over to me. This is right, yeah. Okay, so COVID has brought the two of you back into back into the Australian circle, very fortunately from our point of view. And what has this last year meant on a making level for you guys? Because you've been in charge of the rooms where companies have been trying to get work up. So there's been a whole different layer of the way we work and a lot of it's come down to your organisation of space. What's that been like for you? Anyone can jump in. Oh, well, look, it's, it's been, uh, even the, the last week has been really interesting because we've had five people on Zoom, Zooming into the rehearsal space. We've had uh, two actors and our designer in hotel quarantine here in, in Brisbane. And we've had our composer and sound designer and fight director zooming in from from Sydney. And for the actors, it's it's uh, it's been an interesting process because on a cerebral level, like they're engaged throughout the day. 
but they're physically not in the room. So what they miss is that that sort of body language, that interaction, that little look that you can have to somebody sitting around, even if you're doing text sitting around the table, you know. And then uh, for Renee, like, you know, she's just like busy, busy, busy all day because like, you know, she spends her entire time on Zoom meetings, whether it's like with us or she'll sort of Zoom out with us and then go and have a meeting with uh, Tony in the technical department and then she'll Zoom zoom into a fitting down a wardrobe. And oh, so it's sort of a digital version of what designers do every day anyway, a dip in and out of the room yeah. and get everything else done. Right. Yeah. So you're across all of that. You've also been across the, the safety in the rooms, mm. setting up systems with masks, who is wearing a mask, who's not, hand sanitizers. The, the, people, the layer of the industry that's been so across mm. hand sanitizers, right? Yeah, that's right. And cleaning all the surfaces and touch points and even the management of lunch hours so that not too many people are in the green room at the same time. You've re- lots of new things to consider. Making you know. sure that casts don't cross over if we're both, we're all in the building. So, right. you know, one testing wouldn't take down both both teams, yeah. And then, of course, Kim, this is probably the closest you got to the two of them because we've been keeping you quite separate to, to that because you're actually on stage at the moment with Prima Facie. Yeah, and it's been it's been easy because we're keeping fairly different hours, but we are in different parts of the building. Yeah, and you've had a, a, quite a an epic ride with this particular show because you were taken out of Sydney quite rapidly. You were in performance in Sydney on Prima Facie and there was a matinee and then Sydney was going into lockdown, which would have affected their ability to get up to Queensland. So Griffin fell on its sword, cancelled its Sydney season, got you out of Sydney and sent you up to the mountains. Um, yeah, we were we were staying outside of Sydney for a little while because we couldn't yet get into Queensland and we didn't want to stay in Sydney and we didn't have a season to return to at that point. So we just kind Isolated of in the woods. Waited. Waited <laughs> until we were ready to come up to Queensland. Yeah. Well, it was an interesting moment, especially on a one-person show, and we've got the, the huge extremes. You've got, you two have got huge shows, and Kim's got one actor on stage. But in all situations, it's not possible to lose a stage manager because the stage oh, manager is the glue for the production. The, the sh- I don't think people realise that the show can't happen without the stage manager. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the person who ultimately has all the knowledge of how the play happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, to me, when it's a one-person show, because really it's a two-person show. Mm. It's just one's not standing on stage. But then I suppose obvious to more people, how many people have you actually got in your two productions? Are you across? I've got 12 cast members. And then a team that wraps around that. Yes, exactly. Mm. Sound and lights and stage management, assistant stage management, all all the designers, directors, everything else in rehearsal. Mm -hmm. But then once the show starts, it kind of is handed over to that smaller team to keep it going. And we find that we're very good at taking very detailed notes as well so that, you know, touch wood, that nothing should happen to us, but should it happen, then there's very detailed notes of the way things have gone and what is going to happen in the show. There's a a thing that, a Bible for every show Mm. called the prompt copy, which is managed by a stage manager. And that's the record of all the information that you would need to put the show on. So in the event, touch wood, that something happens to the stage manager, another stage manager can step in and from your notes, figure out how to get through the show, bring it all together. What's the best prompt copy you've ever received from someone else? Mm. I reckon like, you know, we're going to talk, I think we should talk about Circus Slay for a moment. Oh, okay, only, sure. <laughs> only because, like, the way in which that is laid out is, like, so different oh, to how you do for theatre. Oh, like, okay. Well, because the show has no text. 
That's right. Oh, sure. So it's it's all it's music, it's movement, it's 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 all visual stuff. So what's really interesting with that is that how it's laid out is very similar to theatre, but without the text. So like you have description, which you would have the, as your blocking. Like you know, your next column would sort of like be what what the cues are, what you're saying, mm-hmm. and then there'd be other notes that you'd have, whether it's like you know timings and and cue lights and all of that sort of stuff there. But that's in an Excel spreadsheet. What is so weird is that having spent 10 years calling off an Excel spreadsheet to come back and actually then have to pencil and paper start to write cues in a script again was like, how do I do this? That's right. (laughs) Yes. Um, But conceptually it's the same thing and it's almost laid out the same. It's just there's this thing of the pencil and paper versus the, the digital. I'd love if there was such a thing in the world which is a, you could do a digital prompt copy, you know, where you could take the PDF of the script, import it in, and then you can sort of like, oh, oh add lighting cue, you know, and boom, boom, boom. Oh, but there's something in me where I kind of go, there's something of the Luddite in me that goes, yeah, but what if the computer went down? How well, could you do the show? And, and in fact, calling to Rook, you always had, because yes. we, we would call it off an iPad or off the computer and you would have the other one as backup. I remember one show where having particular technical difficulties and I had my phone open on me as well. So in worst case scenario, I would be reading it off my tiny little phone screen. But yeah. it didn't have to, it didn't happen. So no. it was okay. <laughs> and I think what we ended up doing was in, in the drawer of the um, front of house road case, um, we actually put a printed out copy of the script. A backup, yeah, yeah. thanks. That's good. Yeah. Yes. That makes me feel a little bit better at the backup. But like that whole kind of thing of digital and and control and and look, we we do it here, right? You know, we operate a show from QLab and and you're triggering lighting cues, sound cues, video cues, all of that from a space bar on a computer. You know, with Tribook we were doing and also then the other shows that I did with Mm Circus as well. So you have your iPad, you've got the script there and then you've got the QLab remote and you're sending a remote MIDI trigger down to the sequencer in the band pit to trigger into the next piece of music because all the band is on stage, you know. So that kind of thing, like, you know, that's that's normal these mm. days. Like, you know, that happens. Yeah. Have you found that the technology has evolved quite quickly over the last 10 years or shifted significantly? Absolutely, over the last 10 mm. years. I started working for Cirque in 2009 and in that time, very quickly we went from VHS archive quickly to things on DVD and then now it just all gets put onto a hard drive really quickly. Yeah, on the cloud now as well. And that's only happened in the last... But I think think what... There was this thing which, I mean, especially for how we operate as stage managers, QLab changed the world. Yes. Like, you know, before QLab, Mm -hmm. it was still like, you know, yeah, for sure, you're playing off a computer, but like, you know, it was a software called Cricket, which was like, you know, like CD decks all together, blah, blah, blah. But QLab changed the world, and I think that changed how not only we as stage managers cue a show or how we operate in a rehearsal room, but also how directors and designers come into a project and how they conceive that project. And so it allows you to go much bigger in terms of content for not just lights and music, but also for video as well. Because your constraint is then hardware, whether it's how many projectors or how powerful your computer is, you know. Mm. And then also that like feeds into then how do you manage the process of using that content in a rehearsal room, you know. 
So there's there's so much you can see so much ways. less in the rehearsal yes. room now because of the complexity of the gone are the, the days designs. gone are the days where you had like four CD players and a stack of CDs like this <laughs> high where you say oh okay it's wind version five that we're doing today okay great and so you stick that into the CD player. <laughs> it's interesting for me too in that question of what we're able to design now. You can have a five minute sound cue often using a two-minute fade up or down, which once upon a time had to be the hand of an operator moving it down, and now it's a computer cue. So the complexity of of sound and light and video on stage has increased, well, across the time I've been working on stage. Mm-hmm. But it means what people are seeing is significantly different to what they were seeing and hearing. But I also think in some ways it's meant that we started to instill these skills in a stage manager. You don't have operators sitting next to you anymore to do all of these large tasks. Now it just falls onto one person in in some instances. And then the sensitivity of that Mm. stage manager, it's always been about the sensitivity of the stage Mm. manager for Mm. those sorts of timings, but even even more so now, how clued in you are physically to the performance going on in front of you. So Mm. rhythmically you Mm. are integral to the the feeling of the show. I mean, I know that's yeah. always been the case, but it feels to me so much more closely woven. There's a really interesting um, thought I have about that. So, you know, the lighting designer, uh, Nigel Levings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way in which he would do his lighting cues is that the light leads the actor into the space, whereas Nick Schlieper, he's kind of the reverse. It's sort of like the light comes up as the actor comes into the space. So sitting behind a computer pushing the button or saying go, you're still responding to the same sensitivity. You're either anticipating and leading or you're taking it off of the body and then you're also playing in the design space of the lighting designer Mm. or the the sound designer. You know, when you get a a note that something felt a little bit too early or a little bit too late, you're trying to anticipate that designer's feel. Yes. Right. And, And I guess that is why it's really important to have the stage manager all through the rehearsal period. And when we talk about handing over to someone else, I say as we touched yeah. wood, that if something happens, I'm a good call from the book. But because they haven't been there, you haven't got all of that, you haven't created that bond with the mm. director and with the actors and, and that anticipation, as you're saying, and that leading in and working off the, the room to yeah. come into the show. So it's never going to be that true. It, it can be. It doesn't take long to get it, though. Like, you know, just prior to starting Voice Wallace Universe, I was working on Metamorphosis, which is the, the youth ensemble play and that one pretty much is come in on a Saturday, watch a day's rehearsal and you're in the theatre, you're teching and, you know, mm-hmm. and at the end of the week it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, So that's that's having to get on board with a concept of, of a show really, really quickly. You know, we had a lockdown in the middle of that, so that process was, was kind of broken. <laughs> Not only that, the lighting designer had just thumbed back from Darwin and had to follow the lockdown down from Darwin's protocol. So we were plotting lights with her sitting at home over Zoom uh, in the theatre and the lighting operator like describing the colours and levels and all of that. So we got it done. Um, but like she, when she came in after lockdown and saw it, she's like, okay, I'm going to change that and I'm going to change this. And, you know. Right. Look, the, mm. the Zoom situation is not ideal. No. Uh, it, it is, and, and you had that as well. I did. Yes. With Prima Facie, we had our designers down in Sydney on Zoom all looking at it going, I think that's okay. And look, the team here worked really hard to make it as good as possible, better camera, microphones in the space. But even so, there's a limit to that technology mm. because it's about being in the room. It's a feel of a room. Mm that designers interact with. And so they were very dependent on 
Kim describing it relative to the, the past rooms that it had been in, it still comes down to a feeling and that can't really be quantified or digitised really. Yeah. I think we've learned that more in the last in the last 18 months, that being in the room is the magic and that's what we offer to audiences mm -hmm. is that complex feel. Well, that's actually an analogy for like, you know, even though it's different, an Excel spreadsheet is never going to re replace the pencil and paper. Mm -hmm. No, but it does force you to be even more, more and more precise. When it's on the paper, mm. there are, I don't know, there's... Look, there's there's magic in both ways. Mm. There is. There's a feel in both ways. And and all of the steps that we've had have been evolutionary steps. Incrementally, things have changed. Sometimes there's a big leap, like a QLab, mm -hmm. but it also, that's the industry takes a while to then start to flex within that new technology. Where do you imagine, where do you imagine it'll be in a next, the next 10 years? Where do you see the great possibility for evolution, technologically speaking? No? I, look, I don't think we can look into that crystal ball. Okay. Like, honestly, like I've had a long career in theatre as a stage manager. So at university, I was cutting like, you know, reel to reel tape. Okay. Um, <laughs> and CDs were just becoming a thing that we would use in, in theatre. Right. So I've, I've gone like, you know, from reel to reel tape to mini disc to that like, and, and digital tape into CDs into a version of computer playback, which Paul Chalier sort of created in the 90s yeah. into Cricket and the QLab. And that's the thing is sort of like they were, I think the, the real tape to CD was a huge jump. Yeah. The CD to computer was a bigger jump. And then the jump to QLab was enormous. So will we have that enormous jump again? Who knows? Like it depends on what is invented, I think. But I think the, the, the concept of going from using a physical thing to play music off to dropping a file into a computer, like that happened gradually, but then that, that how we deal with that and how we can then use the technology to do all these other things took, took that enormous yeah. leap. Yeah. And it does take a while for the technology to inspire mm. the designers. Once mm. you get a hold of it, you start to play with it. The thing that's shifted for me enormously has, our, has been our ability to integrate video. Mm. Because when I started, we had AV, but if, if you wanted to make a change, it took overnight to render. Yes, So tapping right. it in was yeah. yes, incredibly was difficult. Yeah. So if you had it, it was this thing you had to, you, you, it slowed up tech yeah. enormously and it took it all. It's still a layer that has to be ready to go in a different way, but mm -hmm. it's poss more possible to integrate now. Mm. And I remember when there was a particular piece of technology that allowed you to make real-time changes in tech without rendering time, and everybody was like, <gasps> oh, my no. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but only yeah. the big commercial shows could afford it. I think STC, was it called Hippo? Um, oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it yes, might have so. been. Actually, like, strangely enough, like, the very first show that at STC that used video was a show called Man with, A Man With Five Children. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can ride. Yes, yes. Yeah. Directed by George Ogilvie. And um, so I was the stage manager of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the system we used was called Watch Out, mm -hmm. which we're actually using on Boys Sports Universe. Oh, okay. Um, and I'm interested to see, because that was in 2000, so I'm interested to see what's happened in 21 years. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. How, how, good, how, how good the system is. And One of my first paid jobs in the theatre was as a Watch Out operator. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. I remember taking a show to Adelaide Fringe and we were so proud to be able to put multimedia, you know, it was a multimedia <laughs> show. <laughs> that was the window a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. I won't say how long. <laughs> no, well, there's always that moment, isn't there, where a new piece of technology comes in and it's like, who's across it? Mm, How yeah. quickly can you get across it? What does it mean? What is the impact of it? Can you manage it? And you kind of go, uh, who are the people that like being in the front end of the management of the technology and who are the, who are the people who like to wait until it settles in? And that's what you try around different shows. That's what you're trying to assemble. Exactly, are the teams yeah. that actually thrive in the new space as opposed to the teams that that they're holding back. Hold, just uh, wait, or just wait until other people have settled the technology in. Well, I think a, a interesting. And this is how I've always approached the use of technology: is that the technology is a tool to help you to do what we do better. Like you know, we are not beholden to the technology. The technology has to support what we do, mm. and that's always been my take on it. And you know, it was uh, I was um, at Sydney Theatre Company from two thousand through to two thousand and ten, and that was the time when computer playback of music became a thing. And uh, was something that, that uh, I mentioned Paul Chalier before was like, you know, Paul and myself were very much into pushing STC in the direction of let's get computer playback into the shows and let's get it into the rehearsal rooms. And all of a sudden, like over through that period, every rehearsal room had a, a dedicated, like, you know, Mac laptop and every theatre had a dedicated Mac laptop and everything was resourced because you could see how that was going to make our jobs and support the show so much better, you know. Mm. Whereas I think if, if you enjoy the technology side of it and you get stuck into, wow, this is, thing is so cool, you lose sight of what its purpose could be and how it could make theatre better. I know we spend a lot of time talking about the technology when, uh, when most of your work really is with the people. Mm. It's extreme sport, people management. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you across kind of, cultures, across, you know, yeah. all sorts of different environments and stuff Different like psychologies. That. Absolutely. All focused around a particular story yeah. for a period of time, but encompassing all the backgrounds of, of those people and all of their different theatre experiences. Do you prefer small rooms or big rooms? Insofar as number, because they're oh, such different things. I've had amazing opportunities in in both, and it, it really depends. You know, and I directed a, a two hander just you know a year ago, and that was just so delightful and so intimate and beautiful. But then, you know, I've had a cast of five hundred kids before, you know, <laughs> and that's also been great fun. And the energy, you know, is just carrying everything. I think the the uh, the length of uh, the project and the type of project it is gives a different thing. Like, you know, yeah. like him, I did a one-person show did uh, The Christian Brothers with Pete Carroll. Um, oh, that, yeah. that was famous. Yeah. That, yeah, okay, excellent. <laughs> and that's like Kim is having this experience. It's you and one actor and like, you know, so there is a bond that you have which is completely different to like, you know, being inside a circus tent with 50 performers mm. and, and, and a band and like, you know, acrobats flying through the air. But the skills that are involved in managing those situations are pretty much the same. You know, um, it's about building relationships and, and communication and like, you know, mm -hmm. the other key things like, you know, and that's probably what makes the job of a stage manager so unique is that you go from the technology talk we were talking about before through to having to have these soft skills and, and build those relationships and anticipate issues that may come up and, and being able to just look at someone and, and know they're having an off day today, you mm -hmm. know, and so you change your approach mm -hmm. based on 
what you what you feel. You know, it's it's a. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, the size of the room doesn't matter so much. It's mm-hmm. about what skill can you bring into that room to make it the best it can be. Yeah. What sort of stories are you drawn to? Because the fascinating thing for me is that there are never enough great stage managers and I feel very fortunate to have the three of you in the building at the moment because I don't have to worry quite so much. So what are you drawn to? What do you like to say yes to when there's a a possibility of project? Do you find your taste in work has changed over the years? I like something that's got a really good social... You know, theatre wants us to feel things. We want to we have an outcome, uh, whether it's a new feeling or it's an investment into something that we already know. So I'm really enjoying taking on those things that might be a little bit different in, in that way. Not to say that I'm, you know, necessarily flying the flag for anything mm-hmm. in particular, but I just, I, I want, big spectacles I love. I've always absolutely loved it. And you can have the same emotional response mm-hmm. from a big spectacle to an intimate show. So that's not, that doesn't come into it at all. I just want that, you know, maybe social change, maybe yeah. ethical thought. Because you can yeah. feel the impact it makes on people. Absolutely, you can. And people go away talking about it and it, you, you've influenced, you know, yeah. society. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're often the first responder, if you like, because you're this, the linchpin on any production. Every actor, every person is, if you've got a problem, call your stage manager. Mm-hmm. Way back when I started started as an actor and you were given a little card and the, the, the number at the top of your little card that you had to keep in your wallet mm-hmm. was the stage manager's number. Anything happened, you call the stage manager. That's right. Is it a chicken and egg thing? You become that person or you always had that capacity in your life and that's possibly why you ended up as a stage manager? Were you always this, that person in your life when you were little? I think I was, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, think, so. I think it's definitely a skill that can be learned. Oh, you know, and developed, you know, yeah, and, and mentor, mm. we've, yeah. we've mentored a lot of different stage managers as they're coming up and stuff. Well, I know that I have, and, mm. <laughs> and it's definitely a skill that you can teach and, and you can learn. But so much of stage management is about reading the room. So I guess that's all part of the, you know, that response as well, that you get a phone call and it might be the middle of the night and you can diffuse the fire. Mm. And then work out the, the response, the correct response for it. I think, yeah, I think I've always done that. <laughs> and at the moment, at the moment, of course, with all of the changing things with COVID, I found that I wake up at the, in the morning and I go, okay, can we do the show today? <laughs> yes. Yeah, with reading the newspaper, trying to pick out, keep across all of that so that, so that a room doesn't. Is that what is that what your what are your days like in relation that's to what I do. That's what I do. That's what I do first right. thing in the morning. Like you know, I have my coffee and I, I um, have a look at the the um, list on the on the Queensland Health website and I say, okay, what's been added this morning? And like you know, knowing like you know, not just myself but where all of the casts and creatives have have come from and things like that. So that's certainly on my radar radar every single morning right now. Especially having people from Melbourne and Sydney who ha- were, have been in quarantine. You know, and also we have another actor who is in a border community in northern New South Wales. So if he goes home for the weekend, okay, can he get back into the state on Monday morning? Like, you know, mm-hmm. that, was, that was this morning's job was over coffee was like, do I have a full cast today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I still look at the New South Wales news because not only have we come from there, so there could be potential exposures, but that's where we're going to go back. We're on tour up here and we're meant to be going on tour in two weeks to Victoria. So our our eyes are suddenly cast forward mm. in that direction as well. Yeah, and all the plans. And if that changes, then what? Yes. Um, where will you be going? Exactly. Would you? I mean, there was a moment where Kim was like, 
if we go down to Victoria and I can't go back to New South Wales, I could just go to Tasmania. I was like, oh. and I, I thought to myself, we could tour the show to Tasmania. He's like, no, for a holiday. <laughs> We're already living out of the suitcase. We could <laughs> just go to Tasmania. Yeah. Just keep going. You've got the suitcase. Yeah, Very right. str- strange suitcases. So there's a question for you. When you're when you're heading out with a show and and it's it's taking you away from home, what do you pack? What are your like? I've I've actually. Like you asked me this question very early on at the start of um, this uh, podcast, and and with Cirque, I was with Cirque for ten years, and that was practically on tour for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> After a while, I got an apartment in Montreal because it didn't make sense to fly to the other side of the world for a week and a half to go back to North America or back to Europe. Mm. But essentially, like you know, and, and then when COVID hit, like you know, I was like, you know, uh, got and Cirque shut down, and everybody got let go, and so. I couldn't stay in Canada because my work permit was effectively for Cirque du Soleil only. So, like, what do I do? But I, I came home with two suitcases and a bicycle. And that's what I would take on tour, two mm. suitcases and a bicycle. <laughs> I have a lot of different packing lists. I spent a number of years at the ballet. So I would um, have a regional tour packing list. I'd have a, a long Sydney tour packing list. I'd have, I'd have a one-week packing list. Yeah. So it depends. Yeah, it, that's right. And and I toured for a few years with my three kids and husband on toast. So that's a whole different packing list as well. For sure. Whether or not my kids are with me or if I'm just by myself. Um, wow. So you have your stage management kit, of course. You know, you've got your pens that you like to use in your but notebooks. I, I reckon that um, you guys are probably the same too. It's like the suitcase is packed the same every single time. Yeah, pretty know? much. Because With you, a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you need to have the order of where things go in because like, especially if you're moving every week or whatever it is, like you need to be able to pack in like 15 minutes, you know. And that was, that was for me like Sunday morning, get up and like, you know, I could be out of bed, shower, coffee, pack, down, luggage dropped in the luggage room within half an hour. Yeah, you need to do it on autopilot. Yeah, I love it. You have to be able to do it because you don't know what's happened the night before and you're quite often packing at the end of a a loadout and just getting ready to go. You might be on the last flight out at the same night as the loadout. You don't have the luxury of... So you you don't unpack too much Mm. depending on how you're there. You've got your little stuff in your bathroom that goes stays in the bag and goes back in there really quickly and you're ready to go. But your your suitcase is kind of like your chest of drawers and wardrobe, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> you should see my house, though. It's totally not organised like that. <laughs> no, you said, it's funny you said pillow. Yeah, I have to take my pillow. Mm. It, it's a weird, it's an odd thing. My pillow with my own, like, like I, don't know what, I don't know what the sheets are, yeah. the place I'm going to. That's yeah. fine. I can deal with that, but my pillowcase. Yeah. A pillow and a scarf. And a scarf. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah. I have a, um, a sort of like a, a end of bed runner which uh, I got in uh, Machu Picchu in, in Peru, hand-woven, oh, like, you know, yeah. and that travelled everywhere with me because, like, you think, like, you know, the Peruvian colours are super colourful, so you go into a bland hotel room with white sheets and there's a splash of colour that I nice. put over the end of the bed. Yeah, you know? it's that funny thing, your ability to make your home with you. What are you? What's that little thing that you need? What about you, Kim? Have you got a... I don't think that I do. I'm thinking about this particular tour and how quickly I had to That's pack down my house. And I don't think I packed anything. I mean, you there. had two hours to leave, the, <laughs> you know, from, from a matinee. Yes. Two hours. How quickly can you pack? But I would normally take, um, I'd normally take a small box of, you know, photos or something that smells nice just to make, especially if it's a hotel room, just to make it a bit more homely. Yeah, I tried traveling with a candle one time. Then I thought, oh, this is this is ridiculous. I'll burn something down. Yeah. Um, yeah so I stopped the candle thing. But yeah, that splash of color. 
mm. or the, the way something smells or yeah. a book, yeah, a book. <laughs> something or, from home or a cup. Sometimes, you know, because sometimes the hotels have got strange cups or it's not the right thing for a really good cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah, just a thing. Yeah. A thing to, like, help you settle in. Yeah. Because you are kind of, you are kind of the nomads. That funny thing of stage manager will move you around various places because, again, it's that funny thing when everybody knows who the great stage managers are. And you kind of pick up the phone and you say, would you be willing to come to here? <laughs> How can I make it worth your while to come to here? And, because this show really needs and you. And by the way, it starts next week. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so you look at your schedule and I go, okay, that's before this festival and after that festival. Because we also, you know, as freelancers, mm-hmm. you fill in your schedule with all your other work as well. Mm. So there's some festivals that I like to do every year and they're at exactly the same time. So if I get a job offer, I'm like, oh, does that mean I can still do this one? Or, you know, where does that fit in with my... And do you feel that starting to come back? It is starting to come back, but there's there's so much disappointment with the things being cancelled. Yeah. And, and so much of the, my festival family that I know are really struggling because it's not that guaranteed work anymore it's you know being being on a show we're still we've got that hanging over us that we might not be able to have a show all the Mm. time but a festival is so much work for possibly one day you know a few hours and if it just happens to fall into that time when there's a lockdown it can't happen and you know all that work leading up to it and it's very disappointing it is coming back though. It's in Queensland. We're very lucky. And I was down in Tasmania and I was at Dark Mofo as well. So, you know, you can feel the things starting to happen and, and come back again. But I just I It was interesting, wasn't it? Because that the festivals around the world were kind of they were the calendar, how you built your calendar. Mm-hmm. And that was how time passed. You kind of go, oh, and then this. And, and they were so solid, mm. those times. People mm. like it because they'd been embedded, I suppose, psychologically in a city. Yes. The city started mm. to cycle around those yeah. things. And so with those, that certainty be, be, being pulled out from underneath it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you said that word freelancer. They're like the stage managers are the great freelancers of the, yeah. of our industry. Yeah. So I was working on Cirque du Soleil too. I was yeah. with Curious and we were down in Melbourne. But I did do the Brisbane season and then I flew and I did Wimadelaide in the middle of the break in the transfer. <laughs> and then I came to Melbourne and it was that whole beginning of everything happening and we, we were – Oh my gosh, are we on the last flight out? Oh, yeah. And then, and you're, you're talking about living out of suitcases. My husband and I drove then back from Melbourne back up to the Sunshine Coast and we took people's suitcases with us because they didn't know where they were going to end up. And we said, well, at least our base, you know, come to our home base. We'll hold on to it for you. We've still got a few that haven't gone back to Russia there, and haven't we, gone back to places. There was, there was this Facebook group that was set up um, by... Uh, someone who was still working with Cirque over the time. And, like, people, and he was basically organising getting people's luggage, you know, out of shipping containers from Amsterdam and shipping containers in Montreal. And, like, you know, and this went on for months and months and months and months. Like, you know, and some people, like, you know, yeah, go home and they didn't have two two of their suitcases full of clothes because they were inside a shipping container, which was being... On a, on a truck across Europe to the, the site in Amsterdam where everything was being stored. And, That's and right. And so that meant if they were on tour in Australia, the stuff that was in the luggage container was all their winter clothes and they might have gone back to their place on the other side of the world and they needed all of that stuff. And it's it's been quite quite a thing. <laughs> it's been a huge thing, yeah. Yeah. And look, and I know we're not... I know we're not through it. We're working more solidly in Australia with mm. patches, obviously with Sydney down at the moment. So 
patches of, of lockdown. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I'm thinking about it in my head. But it feels like we're in the time where everybody's thinking, will this be the way the world works? The things we used to be able to take for granted, systems that were very solid with large companies like mm-hmm. like Cirque and then and even with smaller companies, the ability to plan next year. I used to joke that I knew exactly where I would be standing on this day next year mm-hmm. as seasons were locked in. And now that certainty is gone. Now, being, I suppose, the instrument of certainty in a room on a day-to-day basis, again, you're the number to call, you're Mm. the person who knows. What has that been like, I suppose, that question of your relationship to certainty and how how you've been the people that have had to then communicate the new certainty? One more of the many schools of being yeah. a stage manager um, is that you're open to change. You're flexible. You have good flexibility. You can you can change on a dime. Yeah, you're like, thinking you know, on your feet all the time. Yeah, you're, and, you're looking for what happens after the thing that might happen. You know, and so when like you know a situation arises, you just go, okay, okay, we're doing that right now. Okay, perfect, no problems. Like you know, and and you just go with it. Yeah. Like you, I think if you know, and and there are certain personalities who struggle with change. And struggle with like you know changing environments that can actually just be completely reversed in a moment's notice. But theatre—that's kind of what working in a room is actually like. And you would know yourself as as a director. It's sort of like you're in the middle of a scene and, and you just go, "This is not working," and so <laughs> you'll just change direction like that, like you know, and you are going to trust that your stage manager is going to go with go you. Go with you, yeah. yeah. And find the props that you now ask for <laughs> that weren't on the original list. Yeah. yeah. Look, I have to say, Kim Scott is a is a master of the the cardboard, cardboard. stand-in prop. <laughs> there is nothing he can't make out of cardboard so that you can try it and if then you really, really need the real thing, then we'll go out and get it. But let's just <laughs> hold it right now. Like there was one... Guns. Kill climate deniers. Kill climate deniers. Yeah, I just remember like he built AK-47s, all of these different things out of cardboard until we decided if that was actually what we were going to have. And they were just, I would come in and see the the next day these beautifully, beautifully made cardboard props (laughs) just with the name of the thing on it, just to see. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Filing that away. Filing that away. Filing that away. There is nothing he can't make in cardboard. But strategies, I suppose, to get a room through its trial, the play through its its trial space before it becomes the real and solid thing. And again, keeping really good notes because what if then the director says, oh, actually, let's go back to what we were doing before and you might have actors that go, I have no clue what I was doing before but you've taken the notes so you can go, well, you were... Yeah. It was interesting remounting Prima Facie because, of course, that was made in 2019. Mm. It was supposed to go on the road last year in 2020, and now it's it's back. Mm. But we made the play two years ago, mm. and it was only Kim's notes that actually were reminding both Sheridan and myself what she actually did in moments. Oh, it tested all our memories. <laughs> it did. It did. But these very specific notes, he was like, no, you put the bag down on that word, and Sheridan's like... No, I didn't. And I'm like, really? And then she would do it and go, and then her body would remember. And we'd all go, yeah, that's actually what it was. And yeah. Kim was like, oh, thank God, yes. <laughs> because that's what the note said. But, you know, yeah. again. Or she'd say, I've never said this line before. And I would say, well, you used to kind of say it like this and we'd let you get away with it. And she's like, oh, yes. Again, yes, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so that strange thing of bringing bringing your show back to life and what what that actually is, I think, given how many shows have been 
cancelled, suspended, Mm. put on hold, put in a box maybe to come back again. I think everybody's memories have will be tested and Mm. I suppose that that question of what will be lost in that time, we also don't know. But Mm. we've got a huge young artists program here at Queensland Theatre. Every week we've got about a hundred students who come in and do drama each week with professional actors training them and directors working with them. Some of them are not, will not be actors. Mm. It's just that they're drawn to the theatre. They love it for some reason and so they come to us. I'm always interested in those theatre minds who are drawn to it, who probably won't end up on stage, but actually talking to them about about what a a love of theatre is and finding your way into this particular world. And you talked about that, you talked about people who are good with change, John. Mm. What do you think, looking back, were the things about you that led you towards stage management, like to a life in the theatre that is not in that visible onstage space? What were the, I suppose, personality traits or your skills that that made you such a good fit for the, the life of a stage manager? It's connection and trust first, first and foremost, I think, because whatever it is, that person who's there presenting it has to be able to trust that the team around them, whether it be one person and one stage manager doing all the lights and sound on QLab or a whole team, they have to be able to trust that they're supported and they can get what they're, you know, giving their heart and soul for. They're going to be able to do that. And you need a, you need a head. You need, you need the head of the ship to be able to run that, to control it all. So it's definitely organisation. Yeah. It's taking that responsibility and putting your hand up and going, yes, I am confident, I can do that, and having establishing those trust relationships. Mm. I, think. I think, and to add on to that, it's, it's sort of like, yes, there's a head of a ship, but you're also a team player. Oh, yeah. you, you're part of the team. It's sort of like, you know, you're the person that, that someone's going to look to when there's a crisis or something goes wrong or whatever. Yeah. But like when everything's kind of running smoothly, you're just like, you know, another cog in the wheel. Like, you know, and for me, like, you know, I've never been like a telling people how to do something. I've never been Oh, yes, please don't misunderstand me. That's (laughs) not... (laughs) It wasn't the bossy boots. Like, you know, and... um, when I was working with Sydney Theatre Company and we'd have uh, succumbents come in from, from different colleges, there are some people who would actually have that attitude, you know. Mm. And But that, that, that's not how I see being a stage manager. Like, you know, you're kind of like almost in a way if you're not noticed, yes. then you're doing a mm, good that's job. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. But you, you've always liked being in teams of things, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I think... What's interesting about being in a team and sort of like when we do like theatre shows, like mm-hmm. those teams, like it's for a short period of time, right? You know, it's a, what I, what I say short because like, you know, yeah. a circus show does run for a long time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that period of time, like in a theatre show can be three, four months, something along those lines, you know. When uh, working with Cirque, like, you know, the, the, sh- the longest that I've had been with one team would be like, you know, th- three years, you know. And the artistic director that I would, work with at Cirque, we've actually been working together since the beginning of 2012. So we've built like a really like strong mm. relationship in terms of how we work together. He's an ex-dancer, he's French and lives in Arizona. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm an Aussie boy from Brisbane, you know, and, and so, but we just sort of like connected and, and uh, 
really understood how each other worked. And so, you know, we started off on one show and then, you know, 10 years, what's that, nine years later now, we've done three creations of new sex shows, you know. So it's uh, um, it's about relationships and, and building, like, you know, that trust and, and within within the team, you know, and then from that you sort of build into that and... and you kind of look when when interviewing stage managers. You look for not just the skills and the experience and that sort of stuff, like personality. How would you fit within the team? Like you know, what skills, like you know, hard and soft, can you bring into this team, which is actually going to balance us out to make us whole and complete. You yeah. know, that's a that is really important. You know, because yeah. if if there's something in the team that's not working, then the actors are going to see it. Like you know, it's it's going to yeah. become apparent. So you you've got to be like you know. Really, everybody has to gel well together to make it work. And when that happens, there's nothing like it. Mm. Yeah. That's the thing that keeps us all going. Yeah, what we great. get to do, what we get to make, and how we get to make it. It's not fun. I hesitate to use that word because people go, oh, your job is so fun. No, it's hard. It's, it's but hard. It's, it's complicated. It's and it feels like, well, yeah. look, the practicality of stage management means you're usually in the room at least an hour before everybody else. Now, I've taken you out of your rooms <laughs> for that hour. So thank you for letting me steal an hour at the very precious beginning of your days. I know I have to let you all go now, but I just wanted to thank you for giving us this little window into, into stage management in 2021 in the, in the middle of all the COVIDness. I find as a director, stage manager is actually the closest relationship I will have in a room. So I suppose I'm trying to like send out into the world a little bit of my love for what that what that role is and to to thank you on International Stage Management Day for the dedication and the art and craft that you bring to a room that makes that makes the imaginative space actually practically possible on a day-to-day basis. We don't necessarily appreciate enough except on this day the depth of commitment that it takes to be a stage manager but that without that commitment, none of the art that we enjoy so much would actually happen with as much joy. So thank you for this this lifetime that you've given over to. And thank you to your families for for allowing you to be gone in the nights. <laughs> yeah, I, I find it a deeply, a deeply moving thing to examine the role of the stage manager. And I just want to thank you at this point for all of the work that you've done both for this company, but also around the country and around the world. I hope as it all comes back that you can slip back into those gorgeous just, uh, and demanding schedules that you've had that have taken you around the world. But for the moment, it's lovely having you in the building. Thank you. And thank you to everyone at home for joining us on International Stage Managers Day. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Cool. Now fly, be free. Go make it <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Quality Time. Please rate and review it and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter at QLD Theatre. You can visit our website, queenslandtheatre.com.au, to sign up to our e-news and learn more about the stories we'll be sharing next. We can't wait to see you at the theatre again soon. Bye!